So just a show of hands for those of you that I can see. Um, how many of you have had your Christmas shopping done for a week? Okay, how about two weeks? How about a month? One right here. You, you're, you're winner, winner, chicken dinner right here. Okay, how many of you finished your Christmas shopping today? <laughs> okay, how many of you at 425 on December 24th still have Christmas shopping to do? Don't raise your hand. I don't want you to get in trouble. You know, one of the, the interesting things, and this happens to me every year, is Christmas just seems to sneak up on me a little bit. And for those of us that are procrastinators in the room, the, the danger for us is that this season, this time of year, can become uh, unintentionally frantic and stressful. We're, we're wanting to make sure that we uh, get all the gifts that we need to get for all the people that we love and care about, make sure the Christmas cards go out, make sure we're not forgetting anybody, make sure all the presents are wrapped and under the tree, making sure that everything is covered and we're not missing anything. And what's interesting is that during this season, people all around the world right now are setting aside some time to come back to the reason why we celebrate Christmas. People all around the world are gathering right now to get re-centered on the birth of Jesus, the celebration of his coming, the fact that he is Emmanuel, God with us. And if we'll slow down, and this is what I wanna invite you into for the next few minutes. If we'll just slow down, and breathe and set aside whatever plans you have after tonight's service, whatever, whatever gatherings you have planned, whatever last minute shopping you have to do, if you can just set that aside and be present, God is here with us and he wants to speak to you during this time. If you can breathe, be present, and set aside all of the plans and things that you have lingering after tonight's service. Because no matter what this year has been for you, no matter how wonderful or how difficult this season has been, God wants to remind you tonight that he came to bring you good news that would cause great joy. To bring you good news, to bring you the greatest gift you could possibly ask for or imagine. And what's been read for us by those that read scripture already tonight is Luke chapter 2. It's the most famous telling of the events of the Christmas story. Luke chapter 2, it, it gives us all of the details of the Christmas story that bring about the, the sort of nostalgia of the birth of Jesus and the events surrounding it. There's glory, there's the angels singing, and the, there's you know, the baby in the manger. The, there's all these beautiful things that bring about sort of the em emotions that rise up during the Christmas season. But there's something in the Christmas story that we can often miss because we, we sort of romanticize the birth of Jesus. And actually, if you spend enough time looking into Luke chapter two, there's a message hidden in the Christmas story that isn't warm and fuzzy. In fact, it's fairly confrontational. 
Because what we see in verse 11 in Luke chapter 2, the angel declares to the shepherds in this, in, in verse 11, it says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. See, the announcement of a Savior is actually offensive if you think about it. Because the announcement of a savior means that you need saving, right? And, and we, we romanticize it, and it is beautiful, it's incredible. But the message of a savior was actually incredibly divisive in the first century world, and it's still divisive today. To many people in modern culture, the idea that I am helpless, powerless, and needy, and I in and of myself can do nothing about the condition of sin for all of humanity, and especially for myself. I can do nothing about it. That's wildly offensive. Like, if somebody came up to you and said, excuse me, I just want to tell you that you are helpless, powerless, and incredibly needy. You would not look at that person and say, thank you very much for bringing that to my attention. You would be offended. But this is the exact message of the birth of Jesus. His coming tells us that we are helpless, needy, and powerless, and we need a savior. We need saving, right? Later on in Luke chapter two, Jesus is taken to the temple by Mary and Joseph, and there's a man named Simeon there, and, and it says this in Luke two thirty four, It says, and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child, speaking of Jesus, is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. What in the world is that talking about? Right, what it's saying, what Simeon is saying is that Jesus Christ, he is going to expose people. He came to reveal what's in the hearts of humanity. He came to expose us. And what's fascinating about the person of Jesus is the fact that he came to reveal, he came to expose, and he came to, to reveal what's in the hearts of people and their, the people's response to it in the first century. There were people who loved him for it and people who hated him for it, and that's still true today. Because when Jesus shows up, anything that causes us to take a long look at what's going on, what actually is going on inside of us, maybe something hidden, maybe some sin that we don't want to address, we don't want to address those things. And so when somebody comes along and reveals those things or exposes those things or draws attention to those things, Many of us have a visceral response to that that causes us not only to reject the message, but also to reject the messenger. Right? Anything that causes us to look honestly at ourselves, if we're not careful, our immediate response to that is defense. But the message of the manger for many people, especially the shepherds, it was cause for great joy because Jesus himself says, he's speaking to the Pharisees. He says, it's not the healthy that need a doctor, but it's the who? The sick. Now, the profound part of what Jesus is saying there, 
Every person on planet earth except Jesus himself is sick, but there are those who recognize it and those who don't. And what Jesus is saying is the people who know that they're sick, the people who know that they're powerless and needy and helpless and in need of a savior, they're the ones that rejoice at my coming. But the ones who have convinced themselves that they're just fine, that they're morally acceptable before God, that their good deeds have outweighed their bad, those that believe that they're healthy, they're offended by the message of the birth of Jesus Christ. And that has been true for the last 2,000 years. One of my favorite passages in scripture, actually this is the first passage I ever memorized as a brand new believer when I was 20 years old. It's out of 1 Samuel. And it's the story of uh, Samuel, the prophet, looking for King Saul's successor. And so God tells Samuel, the prophet, to go to the house of Jesse and that there he will find King Saul's successor. And King Saul was a terrible king. And so Samuel is on this mission from God. He goes to the house of Jesse and Jesse brings forward his oldest son. And Samuel is looking this guy over. He's handsome. He's strong. He's, it's like all of the worldly standards for leadership material. And Samuel looks at God and basically says, surely this has got to be the guy. This is the guy you want to be King Saul's successor. And this is how God responds. The Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And for those of you that know the story, God chooses David, who was just a boy at the time, right? It's this beautiful reality that while we judge each other by the outward appearance, only God knows the heart. And while we make judgments based on what's visible, based on what's outward, God makes his judgments based on what's invisible. We make our judgments based on what we can see. God makes his judgments based on what we can't see. See, this is why Jesus' whole life, everything that he said, everything that he did, every word that he spoke was lived to expose us, not because he doesn't know what's in us, but because he wants us to know what's in us. He wants us to see what is inside of us so that we might recognize our need for salvation. We might recognize our need for a savior to be born in Bethlehem. See, that's the brilliance of God. I mean, just think about the person of Jesus. He's so ordinary. He's a carpenter, born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth. Some of his early followers actually made fun of the fact that he was from Nazareth. Like they're going, what good could possibly come out of Nazareth? And God chooses that to be the town that Jesus is raised in. He's so ordinary, he's so average, and what's incredible is it actually reveals his level of just plainness reveals our level of snobbery and pretentiousness, right? We, we look down on Jesus and we see how ordinary he is and it actually exposes how our level of self-importance is so inflated, 
Right? This is what Jesus came to do. He came to expose, not only in his message, but by the manner in which he lived. See, the message of the manger, God is telling us that appearances and perceptions and reputation, how people view the outside, is not only not God's highest priority, it's not even a priority at all. It's not even on his radar. See, see, God's priority is to invite us into relationship with him, which frees us from the fear of how other people perceive us. See, that's the beauty of the manger, is that Jesus came down in such an ordinary, plain fashion that if we will simply trust in him, it will free us from our need to be perceived well by the people around us. It actually sets us free from the fear of man and elevates the care and concern that we have for living a life that is pleasing to God and God alone, regardless of what the people around us think. See, that's freedom. That's liberation. That's why Jesus comes to expose us, to reveal us that we might find freedom in him. See, Jesus comes and he flips the world's standards completely upside down. He came to violate the world's standards. See, he came to be rejected, but he came knowing that his life would create division. He knew that there would be people who receive his message and there would be people who reject his message. People that would receive him and people that would reject him. But see, Jesus' message to humanity wasn't a message of condemnation. See, it was a message of confrontation, but it was not a message of condemnation. The same passage that tells us how ordinary Jesus is tells us this in Isaiah 53. It says, he, Jesus, had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. See, what that tells us is that Jesus came to be rejected but he didn't just come down to be rejected as an example. He came to be rejected as a Messiah. He came to be rejected as our savior because what this passage tells us is that because of humanity's total rejection of Jesus, you and I can be accepted by God. Because Jesus came down and walked among us, the rejection of Jesus means your unconditional love by God himself. Simeon said earlier, says he will be a sign that is spoken against. What that tells you is that Jesus himself was spoken against so that you could be spoken for. Jesus was opposed so that you could be welcomed in. He was our 
substitute. See, here, here's the beautiful reality of the Christmas story. Because there was no room for him in the inn, God has made a way for you to be welcomed into the house of the Lord forever. There's a place for you in the family of God. See, Jesus as our savior means he took all the punishment that we deserved so that we could receive all the blessing that he deserved. And Jesus even says in John 3, 17, he says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. See, the message of the manger is good news to some and it's threatening news to others. And it's all contingent on whether or not you will look inside yourself and see the condition of your own soul. And the only requirement for salvation is placing your trust in this baby boy that was born 2,000 years ago. Giving your life to him, surrendering your life to him. See, he came to expose us, not to condemn us. He came to expose us in order to liberate us. He came to reveal in order that we might receive rescue. In the beginning of our service today, Logan read out of John chapter one. In verse four, it says, in him, in Jesus, was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. See, what's interesting about the fact that God came down, he dwelt among us, walked with us, lived life, a perfect life, for us, in our place. There was a moment in the life of Jesus where it seemed like that light that came down into the world was snuffed out. And three days later, when Jesus began to breathe again, that light was reignited. When breath filled his lungs, the light was reborn, resurrected. And what's so incredible about this is that light is not just limited to one man that lived at one point in history. That light has now exponentially multiplied and is available to you and I today. Because in John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Making that declaration about himself. See, one of the things, if you're skeptical about Christianity, one of the primary things you have to wrestle with, if not the primary thing, are the claims that Jesus made about himself. Right? He says, I am the light of the world. Yet, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, Jesus says, not I am the light of the world. He says, you are the light of the world. When he says you, he's not talking to an individual. He's saying you all are the light of the world. You collectively are the light of the world. See, Jesus, who is the light, came down into the world to bring his light and dispel the darkness. And at the resurrection and ascension of Jesus, he makes that light, the light of life, available to every single one of us. In other words, every single person whose highest allegiance, highest loyalty in life is this baby boy born in a manger 2,000 years ago. To them, the light of God resides. And it's to those individuals and those community, that community of people that God is empowered and commissioned to take that light further out into the darkness of this world. 
See, that's the beauty of the story of Christmas. All because Christ came down. All because God left his throne in heaven and descended into the darkness in the world around us and to dispel the darkness that resides within us. That's the freedom that Jesus offers. All because the light that was in the beginning descended to bring us good news of great joy. Today, all over the world, the church gathers for the lighting of the candles as a reminder that the light came down and that the light has been placed in every single one of us. Right? All around the world, the church celebrates the fact that we have been given the light of life itself because this baby boy was born in a manger 2,000 years ago. So now, I wanna invite the ushers to come forward and as a symbol of the light that we've been given, we're gonna light the candles. We're gonna sing a couple more carols together as we continue to worship. And as your candles are lit and as you share the light that God has given to you, Here's my encouragement to you. As we celebrate and sing about the birth of Jesus, as we celebrate the fact that the light came into the world, don't let it just end here in this moment. Recognize the fact that the light came down into the world so that you might receive that light and carry it into the world around you. So whether the days ahead for you are difficult or whether you're walking forward into this new year celebrating what God has done, carry the light of Jesus into every interaction, every moment of every day, every conversation, every meeting, every gathering, into your neighborhood, into your workplace, and spread the light that dispels the darkness. Amen? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that you came down in this unassuming package. A baby boy born in a barn 2,000 years ago. Thank you that hope has come. That life has come. That the light has descended into the darkness and that the darkness has not overcome it. God, we adore you and we worship you. Spread your light in us and through us as we continue to sing and worship in the lighting of the candles. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.